You're listening to the Don't Suffer Like Us podcast, hosted by Kimberly Fujitaki and Thea Michelle. Don't forget to join. Having a few tech problems. <laughs> That's okay. Join us, Kimberly. Hello. Two times. <laughs> Hello. It's February 1st. It's Black Can History Month. I can't believe it. it. Yeah, there's just time is it's like a very strange construct in in the pandemic world. I feel like it is. Time is very elastic. Yeah. It's like it feels so slow but so fast. It's like in a reflection it feels fast, but in the moment it feels like what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I feel a lot of what is going on. The last couple of weeks since this change in the administration seems like time slowed down because it's become less chaotic. I think. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just measuring like, you know, and and I feel like too, it's it's kind of like a sigh of being able to take down a little bit of the madness. You know, mm-hmm. and and just be able to kind of settle, mm-hmm. um, not to be in stagnant, you know, right. energy, but to to just be to not feel like the ground is being like pulled out from underneath you all the time. Like that's yeah. really, really how I felt, you know, especially during the last president's administration. Like just that we were just trying to run, you know, run, run, run. Yeah something else and uh and that's really difficult and it's it takes a lot uh it does a lot to your nervous system i think a lot of people mm-hmm. are trying to like recalibrate in this yeah. time period mm-hmm. recently a, a friend of mine uh had some health issues and i was just like well now it's safe <laughs> you know like um because for four years there was so much chaos and there was just lots of going on in their personal life too. You know, it's like, and once yeah. the pandemic's, I mean, not the pandemic's still going on, but once the chaos in the highest office was gone, then it became safe for a lot of people to have kind of stress responses. And I've talked to a few people who've, who've had that because our body holds on to that, that trauma and that stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has to go somewhere, right? And yeah. When it's safer, our body tends to react. And if you don't feel safe still, that's something to consider as well, because mm-hmm. we are in the height of a deadly pandemic, and there is a lot of unrest and craziness continuing to go on in the world, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so it's just, it's taking time to observe, you know, how how you're feeling, how you're doing, if you're, if you do feel safer, if you don't feel safer, you know, like, it's always that self-study that we're trying to continue to be aware and mindful of as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads us into our conversation today about um, yoga being for all. But is it? There's a lot of things that um, when we're coming from our perspective, we might not notice that it creates a space of discomfort or even a feeling of lack of safety because of the language we're using. And a lot of language um, I don't know, like when I came to yoga, there was, it was predominant. I mean, now there's more men practicing, but it was predominantly female. And a lot of the language was gendered towards the female experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which can be very awkward for someone who's male or identifies as a man um, or someone who's non-binary. Mm-hmm. Or even somebody who doesn't prefer to have their gender continuously like brought up over mm-hmm. and over and over again, you know? Yeah. I think that a lot of times we want to just connect to our center and, you know, gender identity, obviously for some people Mm -hmm. is very important and something that they want to be highlighted, but, you know, depending on your room and who is there, we also have to be really aware that we don't just have two gender, you know, like not just those people who identify in that space and, you know, Thea and I have worked and taught and lived in Los Angeles. So we have a really wide variety of people who join us for our practices. Mm -hmm. Something that I think for both of us is really important to be inclusive and welcoming to all bodies, regardless of how you identify and to celebrate the differences that we have and how we can make people feel more comfortable in the body that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that made me think of um, a time I worked at a studio. Well, my compliments, my spouse worked there too. Um, and they were ch- kind of changing things and reformatting things. And it was becoming more feminine in nature. And the studio's owner uh, husband's, the studio's husband's owner's husband said to her, like, well, how's Thea and, uh, and Kyle going to feel about that? You know, because we're both androgynous, you know, like, so we're, we're not really set in our, our gender roles or the, this gender specific type of thought prescribed. prescribed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I just thought that was an interesting thing because he was wondering how we would react. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, that's pretty enlightened, right? Like he recognized that we weren't, um, we weren't subscribing to the typical gender roles and whatnot. Um, and, you know, questioned how it would make us feel, which I thought was an interesting thing, you know. And I think it's good, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. more awareness means that people will take into consideration not just their own lived experience, but the experience of other people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to be thinking of not only ourselves or not only how we, you know, how we experience it, but how people who are not like us will experience Mm -hmm. our teaching and our atmosphere and our environment as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when we're doing something, um, when we're teaching and if we're referring to certain body parts as markers for those who may not have those body parts, or had those body parts removed, it can be an awkward experience. You know, um, your womb is a place of creativity. Well, what if I was under your bra strap? Yeah. I mean, what if, you know, what if I was born without a womb? What if I, you know, whether that's because of, you know, it not developing or because I'm male, you know, uh, had it taken out or you had it taken out. Yeah. Um, so there's many things that you might not be aware of that, you know, might seem really benign, but to someone's lived experience, it could be, it can create a, not a necessarily a hostile environment. It could be, but it could come across as a microaggression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, I've had somebody talk about a womb in a class where there were men in the class too. And I thought, and I, it was like a restorative type of class. And so then it was kind of in a part of the body scan mm-hmm. and that it like, it just immediately took me out of, of my experience because I knew that there were other people in class who could potentially feel like, what is she talking? You know, like it, yeah. it, it, it took me, even though, you know, I have that anatomy, it took me out of it because I was still feeling like, you know, thinking about somebody else who might not have that experience, you know, and just like, it, it felt very strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Because we can describe things in other ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with and with the thought back to heteronormativity, like there's this idea of a procreation as being a purpose. And procreation may work for some and others may not be down for that. And other people may not be capable of that. And so even with that type of inference, because I've been in classes with, you know, not even classes that are centered on pregnancy or procreation where there's like language surrounding it. And it's like, that's not very welcoming or inviting to those who either choose not to have children, those who cannot have children or, um, you know, people people in different situations. Yeah. Yeah. Who could be struggling to have children too. You know, like there's a lot of, of experiences that people could be having during your class while you're teaching that Mm -hmm. you have no idea about, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so just understanding that there's a potential of, you know, kind of lighting that feeling of not feeling welcome or, or feeling less than because of some type of language that we're using. We just want to bring it to our attention. You know, there's Mm going to be times where, You know, maybe that lady who I was in that class normally every week, she just has women in class, which is probably the case, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of a sudden a man shows up and she's saying her normal spiel like she normally does because only women come to her class most of the time. But there's a man there, you know? So it's also about teaching to the room that you're in. Yeah. Because I've been in many spaces where I am a prenatal yoga teacher or working and teaching uh, in an all-girls school environment as well, you know, those were all women in that space, Mm -hmm. potentially always, you know, but I always checked in with everybody, you know, tried to be really accommodating to understand and know my students so that if those triggers were to happen, they would feel comfortable to talk to me about it or that I understood them enough to be able to adjust my class to what they needed from me instead of just having this kind of like blanket, you know, speech that I would give everybody, you know? Right. And, you know, I just think that it's important when you're having conversations and opening yourself up to teaching to broader audiences, broader groups, um, Understanding that one person is not the expert on everyone, um, but to respect whatever that, that they say regarding their lived in experience, you know? Yeah, and how they feel and 
just to be a really compassionate listener because mm-hmm. you know we may not I, i'm sure that the person who was talking about the womb in class did not mean to offend or take so like that you know take somebody out of their practice by saying what they said you know mm-hmm. but just because they may not have known that or have felt like you know that that was a big deal doesn't mean that it couldn't potentially be something that might be important to bring to their intention just in case you know and and to have a comfortable conversation like if we can't have these conversations with people or students don't feel like they can have these conversations with us then you know it creates a power dynamic that maybe feel maybe feels un like uneven you know Yeah. yeah totally and I think, you know, for me, I um, don't really talk about it a lot, but I'm not binary. I don't feel male or female. I feel pretty. I just feel like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so to me, the word term guys feels gender neutral to me. But to other people, it may not. And I've seen a lot of people um, that are cisgendered who do very much identify as particularly female saying, don't say guys. And it depends on the community because I know other people who are like me who find guys gender uh, neutral, but that doesn't mean I would address everyone as guys, if that makes sense. So it's just something to keep in mind that one person of a community does not speak for everyone in a community. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same. I have certain people that I've grown up with and I lived in San Fernando Valley my whole life. And I call my friends dude. And so, you know, and yeah. the, the people that I call dude are are not men. So, yeah. you know, because, you like, know as, as a Californian, dude is also gender neutral. <laughs> so, you know, we have to yeah. be mindful of, of certain things. And obviously the person that I'm calling dude knows that I call her that. Right. And she calls me too. So it's, it's, like, yeah. it's an equal it's term of endearment towards each other, right? So, but I wouldn't just show up to class and be like, all right, dudes, roll out your mat. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. So we have to be, you know, mindful of, of our audience, who's yeah. there, why they're there, and, and yeah. do the best we can to let them feel welcome. I mean, you can call me dude all day long. Don't call me lady. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we, we have preferences, you know, and if, you know, if we do say something and then someone comes up and talks to us, it's something to keep in mind, you know? Um, yeah. If your purpose is to be accessible. Exactly. Because. So we can think about it in terms of like the, the fact that in certain spaces, you know, maybe we want to be more mindful of certain language. You know, mm-hmm. I, when I was teaching all in the all girls school too, I noticed myself being like, all right, guys, you know, and, and I had to purposely change that, you know, to make it so that I could be like, all right, people, let's go, you know, instead, because some things are just like, it's so ingrained in us that we've said over and over and over again, but it is going to take time for you to change that language. If you've been saying it a certain way for a long period of time. And everything to me is a guy, a pen is a guy. (laughs) You know, hand me that guy. Um, so that's something, you know, that I have to be mindful around unless I know that the community that I'm working with in the moment is fine with being called guys, you know. Um, and I've and- been in a class where 
where Thea has explained her her philosophy on guys, you know, like get, get your guy, you know, like, and, and so if you explain it too, okay. Like people understand also, but you know, it's, it, it's about being more mindful about why we're using the language that we are. The, the two of us have always been really about that. Like be purposeful with what you say, because otherwise, you know, Nobody's yeah. listening to you. <laughs> well, like when I had my studio in Los Angeles, you know, I had students who um, were predominantly female identifying. Um, but I also had some non-binary students, you know, or gender queer students. And so, you know, depending on the community at, that I was teaching at the time, depended on the language, because that's also a, an accessibility thing, right? Because it's a sense of community. Um, many of the female identifying uh, students like to be called ladies, you know, and that's fine. So I'd be like, okay, ladies, right? Um, but if it was different, you know, guys and I folks, adjust. yeah, I adjust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to be aware of, of how to adjust so that we feel like there's a balance in how, you know, I don't want people to go to class thinking, I'm going to say this wrong because a lot yeah. of times, especially when you're a new teacher, you know, you're going to make mistakes. I made plenty of mistakes before, you know, and, and maybe that moment of somebody saying that the womb thing was just a mistake, you know? Yeah. So it, it is up to us to just be aware that we have the potential of making mistakes mm -hmm. that we can return, you know, like pay attention to it and, and learn from it. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Because everyone makes mistakes. And the thing is, is sometimes using gendered language may be may work. It might be very supportive of the community at the time. But you have to be aware of who's in your community. That's the bottom line. Yes. So that you can strike a balance. Exactly. So who you're teaching to matters. It always matters, regardless mm -hmm. of what people's gender is. Like how you're inviting in the people, you know, mm -hmm. like just looking at this person as an individual, not even just, you know, all of the things that make up someone, you know, we can't mm -hmm. know everything. Yeah. Um, but if they're to tell us, and if we're to, you know, ask in a friendly way, and allow people to feel more encouraged and comfortable to express themselves in the way that they see fit, right? <clears throat> they're going to be able to, to feel accommodated by us in our teaching. Right. And, you know, like I've used examples <clears throat> um, for dating in, in yoga. Um, like, you know, if, if you went on, a, you know, when sometimes people rush into um, poses and then they fall out. And so when talking about dating, I would say if you went on a date with someone and they asked you to marry them on the first one, you know, without any having without having coffee, First, you know, without having any type of exchange, would you want to go? And they'll, people say no. But I, I make it where it's it's not like, you know, it's not specifying what type of person you date, you know. Um, but we've all had, or I've used the language surrounding, um, depending, you know, like if someone you met for the first time just spills their whole life story from you, in front of you and then ask for a personal loan, right? Like these are going too far too fast too soon. And so using, I use a lot of themes that are rooted in our lived experience, but depending on who's in the class depends on what kind of languaging I use mm -hmm. because 
you know, not everyone is straight. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does date, you know, but those concepts are things that we understand. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it's really getting to know your community and being uh, understanding that, you know, how you perceive welcoming and openness to others is going to reflect in how, you know, who comes to your classes as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something to keep in mind because we yeah. want to be more inclusive, more diverse, more uh, welcoming to as many people as possible so that they can have a practice that really resonates with them. I agree. I have to clear my throat. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. We're live. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was thinking about a while ago, well, a long time ago, a few years ago, um, someone said to me, you know, do you have children? And I said, no. And they said, you answered that fast. I'm like, well, it's a yes or no question. Right? There's <laughs> right? nothing to debate. You have them, you have them. You, you have don't, them. you don't. <laughs> you know, right? And, you know, they, they started asking personal questions, you know, and I was like, you know, this isn't an appropriate, you know, you don't know why people don't have children. It's none of your business why people don't have children, you know, um, and that also can be, you know, one of those gender specific things, because if you look female, right, someone might assume automatically that you have children. Um, And there's a variety of reasons. I've had students who want children that don't have the, the physical capability of having children or would like, or the relationship, or there's a variety of reasons why people don't have children. Um, or they and, just don't want to. Or they just don't want Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's none of our business. But that's also kind of one of those gender specific things. It it's yeah. not something that comes up with men as much mm-hmm. <clears throat> that as it does uh, in with women. I'd say. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. you know. So it's just it's it's really being. You know, I've had to kind of combat the like toxic femininity kind of ideas uh, in many places that I've taught because I do teach prenatal yoga. Um, And, you know, I don't identify with a lot of those types of themes necessarily, but it doesn't mean that other people don't. Right. Um, You know, I teach prenatal yoga and I have never been pregnant, nor do I want to be pregnant. Um, and those are my choices. And, you know, my students, they know me, they know my, uh, you know, my training and why what I do and why I I like to be in the setting to teach those types of classes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel really purposeful and driven to be able to hold that space uh, for, for women and people, any person who chooses to be pregnant. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's it's up to us. We have to know yeah. that there are going to be times, like Thea said, I mean, I've had plenty of people be like, well, how many children do you have? You know, and and I say, just like her, none. You know, like, it, it's... And, and you know what's funny is I've taught a lot of prenatal and no one's ever asked me in prenatal. <laughs> but, like, outside of prenatal classes, people have asked me. Yeah, it just is, it just is an interesting experience. And uh, each, obviously, each community is going to be different too, about 
how they feel comfortable mm-hmm. asking people or asking strangers or, you know, like it just, it's really um, something to keep in your awareness too. Um, that, you know, not every person who's teaching these certain types of classes may be a person that is directly in that community either. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I've said this, you know, a lot as in when talking to people who say like about poses, you know, like you can't do a pose if, if you can't, I mean, you can't teach a pose if you can't practice, if you can't do it. And, you know, I'm of the philosophy that you don't need to be able to do it. You need to know how it works and you need to know how to guide people safely and using an OBGYN as an example, you know, um, a good chunk of OBGYNs are male. If you were to if you were to label, you know, make everything where you would only do people have people that were from that specific area help you, right? Then, then a good deal of those doctors wouldn't be in existence. Um, but the reason why they are is because they understand how things function and how things work. And even though Kimberly's never had a child, I've never had a child. We know, you know, how to guide people safely into poses and to support them without having to go through the process ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, you know, it's a lot of people that I've talked to or people that have gone through prenatal yoga training who, you know, don't have children, they may face that um, feeling of insecurity around not having their own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's up to you, you know, like, why are you there? I'm there because I want to be of service to women to feel like they can be powerful during a period of time where there's a lot of powerlessness, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like there's the opportunity to just explore self in a different way. And that's different than in other areas that I've taught in other spaces. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I never ever thought that I would be teaching prenatal yoga or kids yoga, but this is somehow the path that I ended up on. And I'm really grateful for it because Mm -hmm. it gives me a perspective of things that a lot of people don't know. (laughs) And and I'm grateful for that. And it, it informs my decisions about my body as well and the things that I want and, and how I want to serve. And so you know, having that opportunity and having the space where other people can explore is important to me, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. prenatal yoga or other types of yeah. yoga. And like one of the greatest <clears throat> prenatal yoga teachers that I know, and she was leading, um, she was one of the first to lead prenatal yoga trainings uh, in Texas and, you know, in the United States, uh, she's a lesbian without children, you know, she's like in her sixties and she's like, I just want to facilitate and help women on this process, you know, or people who are having children in this process. And I think, you know, and she's well lauded, you know, she's celebrated, she's appreciated. She's an amazing teacher. It's not her lived experience, but that's her niche. And that's the community she serves. And she does a fantastic job on it, a job in it. And, you know, I really appreciate the time I was able to study with her, um, regarding pelvic floor health, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, just, like I said, going back to like my OBGYN example, you know, you want to have people who know what they're doing, 
to facilitate you. They don't have to have the lived experience, but they have to have the understanding and the language. And the comfort, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many yeah. people who, you know, feel, I feel like, and have been told that are comforted by my energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that makes a difference too. It is going to be, you know, whose classes you resonate with and, and why, you know, that teacher makes sense to you. Why you continue to go back to that person or, you know, why you continue to, to challenge yourself with the information that they give you because it's an important part of your process. And that, you know, is going to depend on your relationship and how you, you know, connect with your students and how you connect with your teacher too. Well, I know you make me more comfortable in this podcast instead of me just speaking into the void. <laughs> right? We just uh, compliment each other on the information too. Um, yeah. It's good. Yeah. And I think that the most important thing, regardless of what we're teaching or who we, we're teaching, is our willingness to grow and uh, learn mm -hmm. and adapt because things change over time. Yes, they do. It's so yeah. much different. I mean, it, I feel like in the beginning of when I was first learning about yoga, to us having like these types of talks about like ungendering your language and you know mm -hmm. making things more accessible, you know, before it was like, this is the way it has to be. This is the way it has to look, you know, do that. And, mm -hmm. and there's so much more nuance to teaching and yoga in and of itself now than just prescribing a pose and doing it, performing it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just about knowing where you're teaching, how you're teaching and to whom you're teaching. And um, you can be authentic and yourself, but still be aware and um, empathetic towards the plight and existence of others. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's true. Well, I think we we hit the nail on the head with this one. <laughs> <laughs> we do say so ourselves. <laughs> um, um. Yeah, and if you have questions about how to say something that you may have been saying in a very, you know, masculine or feminine way, but you want to change the language, like you can always ask us questions. Let us know, you know, certain scenarios that maybe mm -hmm. happened to you that we could <clears throat> kind of brainstorm together and, and have a conversation about what that is and how how you can be supportive in those situations or in any situation. And as I was going to say something, I totally forgot. Um, as time passes, you know, Kimberly and I both have adapted and adjusted to the, the environment. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, stagnation occurs when we're not willing to change and everybody's capable of changing and things are constantly changing. So, you know, it's okay to have done things a certain way and then switch how you do them today. Exactly. I don't think that was what I was going to say, but that's what I'm going to end with. <laughs> I think that's a good ending. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with another topic and another conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at don't suffer like us. You can witness the uh, or listen to any of the archive podcasts at the um, 
at don'tsufferlikeus.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And Thea has a workshop coming up in February. Thea, can you talk a little bit about the workshop? February 21st, I am doing a workshop called Pose and Prose, The Body as a Metaphor. So it's exploring movement and words. So after we come out of the pose, we journal or we write a poem or we write write prose, whatever uh, inspiration strikes us um, surrounding our movement practice. So that's February 21st, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right? Are we in? Yeah, yeah. we're in Standard Time right now. Um, yeah. So and you go to your website? Yeah, go to my website at www.theapichelle.com backslash workshops. And it will be right there with with the details. And so if some of you folks could come, that would be great. That's what I'm attempting to replace uh, guys with is folks. But I probably will still call a pin a guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. And have a beautiful day. Bye. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Don't Suffer Like Us. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Don't Suffer Like Us to join the conversation. For more information regarding Kimberly Fujitaki's Little Heroes Yoga teacher training, visit www.littleheroesyoga.com. If you are interested in finding out more about Yoga Nidra and guided imagery teacher training with Thea Pichel, visit www.theapichel.com. Thank you for listening.